Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. Yeah, get help, join a mastermind, find a mentor, join a program like mine, um, surround yourself with people who are doing this, surround yourself with people who have the same goals as you, people who have already hit some of those goals that are further down the road than you are, and also in the same place that you are. It's very, it's very business and being an entrepreneur is very lonely and it can be very crushing and it can be very, you know, depressing at times. You need to, you need to have that constant reminder of what you're doing and that it can be done. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here for another replay of our live Q&A that I do every Wednesday on my Facebook page. If you go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook, you can find me there on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We do a Q&A where I answer your questions. If you can't be there live, this is the second best option. You can listen to it here on the replay and uh, get all the good information that you were not uh, able to see and hear live. But I'm happy that you're here. We have a good one today. I answered a bunch of questions. One of them was an engineer in San Diego looking at picking up a rental, his first rental, uh, but uh, thinking that maybe the Midwest is going to be a more favorable market because of pricing, but they were concerned about long distance renovations and uh, managing something long distance. So we talked about that. Uh, we talked about the difference between wholesaling and being a landlord as far as the amount of time that it takes. Um, somebody was asking a question about why does it take more time to wholesale than it does to do rentals? So we talked a lot about that. Uh, we talked about short-term rentals in Austin, Texas and what that looks like. Um, and so we just sort of had that discussion about the short-term rentals. Some people chimed in uh, about that. And then I talked to uh, somebody from Utah about uh, developing and kind of setting up the groundwork for marketing and that budget as far as how much do they need to uh, spend on marketing in their, in their market. So we talked all about marketing and it was really, really fun. It's a topic that I enjoy talking about. Uh, we had a few more questions in there too, but guys, you're going to hear it all now live anyway on this replay. So let's dive into the actual show and you can hear everything that was discussed and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're live. How you guys doing? Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, we are back here for our typical Wednesday Q&A at 7 o'clock Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I am here as always to answer your questions. Just going to get all of my stuff ready here and turned off some volume. There we go. All right. Um, guys, welcome back. I, I appreciate you being here. Uh, if you're joining us live, uh, we are between Christmas and New Year. I know there's a lot of things going on with family and friends and you know all the stuff during the holidays. It keeps us super, super busy. 
I'm excited to be here for you. Uh, if you're able to make it here live, I'm super excited that you're able to make it live. This is a great opportunity for you to get some last minute questions in before the end of the year. Start your new year off with a bang, just really hit the ground running. I'm a big fan of let's go right now. Sometimes people say, Oh, I'm gonna wait till January 1st, wait till January 3rd, whatever, you know, once they recover from, uh, uh, the new year celebration. And I always think it's a mistake to, to wait until some sort of arbitrary future date. Like right now is the time. If you can get started on next year's goals right now, you're going to be ahead of the game. And I think that's really, really smart. So welcome back. Welcome uh, here. And uh, I'm going to do my best to answer all your questions. If you have them, just type them in the chat. Starting in the new year, starting in January, uh, we will be launching the latest version of my real estate program called the Seven Figure Investor. Uh, go and check that out. I really think we're going to be able to help a lot of people next year get that business in line to make seven figures. And that's exactly what I want to help you do. Uh, you can go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's the word sever seven, not the number. Type out the word seven figure investor. And you can check out that program. Um, like I said, I'm very excited about it. I've been spending a lot of time creating it, getting it to where I think it needs to be for you to take your business to that next level and hit seven figures. I know you can do it. Uh, it, it took me a while to do it when I was starting out. I, I didn't have anybody helping me. And so I had to figure a lot of it out on my own. And I want to help you kind of cut that learning curve and really make next year the best year ever for you in business. And I think I can do that. Okay, let's dive in right now and start answering questions, guys. Like I said, type them into the chat if you have questions for me and I'll answer them live. Otherwise, we do get questions throughout the week and we kind of curate them, bring them here and answer them for you right here so you could be a fly on the wall. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know and people have questions that you don't even know to ask. So I'm, I'm going to answer those now and hopefully you fall into that category. Okay, uh, first question. Uh, it says, I am a young engineer based out of San Diego. Uh, I'm looking to purchase my first rental property within the next six months. However, since California has limited options and high prices, I'm looking to go out of state for my first investment. I've been looking at properties in the Midwest due to the low housing prices to use the Burr method with, but I'm not sure if it's recommended to rehab a property when I won't be able to easily visit and oversee the process. Any thoughts would be greatly appreciated. Okay. So I think, you know, I know. I know plenty of people who live and, and run their business in California. California has some unique challenges. And I, they're not unique, but they have some challenges. Um, and it's not the same challenges that you face in the Midwest. It's different. And a lot of it is competition and pricing. And you're right. Housing prices are really, really high in California, which makes it really tough for a rental property. It's just not easy to have rentals in a lot of areas of California because the price just makes it really not that attractive for people. And so going to the Midwest is pretty smart. Um, as far as the renovations and not being able to oversee it, that's not a huge problem in, in the world we live in today because we have things like um, FaceTime and Zoom and you know we have the ability to take high def pictures and, and really kind of walk around. Like I said, Facebook, you could have your contractor walk around on Facebook and just like show you what they're doing. It's just almost like you're there. It's not perfect. It's not ideal, but is it worth it when you're in a really, really pricey competitive market? where rentals are really not that attractive because the returns aren't that great? 
yeah, it is a good idea. And I think when COVID hit, even, you know, people who have local businesses, like I'm, I'm in Michigan, all of my, my real estate transactions, like single family transactions all happen in Michigan. I have my target market and it's all relatively close and I could drive to anything that we have going on. Uh, but when COVID hit, we really couldn't, you know, there was a lot more restrictions. It was harder to get in front of people or be around a lot of people. So we ended up having to run our rehab, some of them, like we were remote, like we were looking at stuff on, you know, FaceTime um, on our phones and, and just taking pictures and video. So we almost were running our renovations, what we were doing at the time, like we were remote because we couldn't get in front of people. And I know a lot of people who did that. So the idea is to get eyes on the project multiple times a week, especially when you're new, multiple times a week. And that doesn't have to be in person necessarily. It's obviously it's, it's best in person. I'm not going to lie. It's better in person. But again, the idea is to get eyes on. So if you can see that on like FaceTime or some sort of a Zoom or Skype or something where you can see live what's happening and the, and the contractor can kind of point you around where you want to look and go over the project, I think that's totally reasonable. I don't think that's unreasonable. And I think it's a good compromise to strike between having to overpay in your local market where you can drive there and look at the property or getting a property that maybe hits like the 2% rule, right? Where a lot of people in this country, you know, they try to hit the 1% rule. And the 1% rule or the 2% rule is basically whatever your all-in money is on a project. Let's say you buy it for $75,000, you put $25,000 into it. The 1% rule says you should be renting that property for at least $1,000 or 1% of your purchase and renovation, right? That's considered to be a pretty good rental property. In a lot of places in the Midwest, including in my market, we can hit the 2% rule a lot of times. So if we end up paying $100,000 all in purchase and renovation, we can get $2,000 a month for that property. It's not unheard of at all. So if you're not able to get at least the 1% rule, if you can't achieve that in your market, then it's probably not a bad idea at all to go outside of your market and look for something in an area where you can hit 1% or maybe even 2%. Um, now, in this case, there are things and there's companies out there that will help you sort of reduce your risk. If you are new to real estate and you just want a turnkey property in the Midwest where you can easily hit that 1% rule, using a company like Roofstock is sometimes a good option for you. And it's roofstock.com. I don't have any affiliation with them. I've used them um, to sell properties and, and they're really, really good. So I would go and check that out. The good thing about Roofstock is they're selling you turnkey properties in most cases. And these properties, they have done their own independent um, uh, um, inspection. Sorry, lost my train of thought. Their own inspection. And they've done a lot of analysis for you as far as crime and the economy in the area. So they, they, do, they look at a lot of things to grade the market that you're looking at. And so they have done a lot of work for you. The renovations have been done. And I believe, I don't, I'm not positive because I haven't used them to actually buy rentals, but they used to offer a rent guarantee where they would guarantee the rent for one year after you buy it so that, because a lot of these rentals are already rented, right? 
So they wanted to prevent people from buying it, thinking that they had a rental that was ready to go and cash flowing, and then they get it and the person moves out or whatever. So they were guaranteeing rent for up a year. I think they're still doing it. I'm not positive. You can go check them out at, at roofstack.com. But that might be a good option for you. But if you don't want to go that route, if you want to do it all yourself because you want to kind of maximize your profits, um, then I don't think doing it long distance is a big deal. But make sure that you get multiple bids on the property. And if you're going to rent it using like a realtor, for example, or even if you're going to use like a property management company, I would get a hold of them sooner than later. I would figure out who you're going to use to find that renter. If it's a realtor, get a hold of them, tell them what you're doing and get them to go out to the property and just sort of take a look around and make sure there's nothing going on that you you know should know about or something that's happening that doesn't look quite right or they think it's going to prevent you from renting it effectively. I would make that relationship early so that they can kind of be your partner and your boots on the ground because both the realtor and the property manager both have an interest in this property turning out really, really well so they can get it rented and not have any issues trying to get somebody in there. So um, yeah, I think it's a great idea. If you're in a market that's super expensive, go go to the Midwest, go somewhere where your dollars are going a little farther and you're getting a little more bang for your buck. I think that's a great idea. No hesitation. Just be really diligent. You have to still have eyes on the property all the time. And if that's just, you know, virtually you have eyes on it, then then virtually you have eyes on it. But don't trust somebody else to totally let you know what's happening, whether it's a contractor or even a realtor or a property manager. You need to see with your own eyes what's happening. You should not be paying your contractors until you get visual confirmation or somebody doing a walkthrough inspection like a realtor or somebody and confirming that the work was done that you're about to pay the contractor for. Just typical renovation kind of tips, but it works and it makes sense even when you're talking about renovating a rental, right? Eyes on it, don't pay ahead of time and make those relationships early so you can have someone with somebody else who has a real interest in that property going and walking it, make sure everything's going all right. So I think that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think it's great to go outside of your state if it's just really, really competitive and, and really expensive. Okay. Um, next question. Uh, in a recent live, you said that wholesaling takes more time on a daily basis for busy investors than, than rentals. Um, can you explain? Yeah. Wholesaling takes a lot more time than rentals. Rentals is typically a passive investment. It's considered passive, right? If you're managing your own rentals, there's some work involved because you have to get the rental updated or renovated, but that's a one-time thing, right? And then ongoing, you might have issues with tenants and, and you might have to find tenants and you might have to fix little issues. If you get a property management company, now your time that you need to invest into that rental on an ongoing basis almost is eliminated unless there's a major, major problem with the house where the property management company has to come and talk to you and, and kind of get your buy-in on what they think has to be done. But in general, you can go months and months and months without having to really do anything for your rentals. It's super, super passive. It can be super passive. Wholesaling is probably the least passive thing you can do of the, what I call the big three, right? Rentals, rehabbing, and wholesaling. Those are kind of the three like major mainstream um, investing paths. I know there's others, right? I, I know there's tons of others, but like the major, major ones Wholesaling, flipping, rentals. Rentals, most passive. Wholesaling, 
least passive. With wholesaling, there's a lot that has to happen. It's constant weekly marketing that has to get done. There is uh, incoming leads that have to be managed and have to be handled by somebody, by you or somebody that works on your team. So you have lead intake, we call it, right? It's either phone calls or emails or text messages coming inbound that are, you know, as a response to your marketing that you're doing every week. So marketing inbound leads, and then you have somebody has to go on appointments, whether it's virtual or in person, somebody has to be talking and doing the sales process with the homeowners. And so you have that person or that, that job responsibility. And then once the contract is, is gotten from the seller, you know, you've agreed on a price and you, you have a purchase agreement, that purchase agreement goes to whoever is handling dispositions. Dispositions is, is responsible for getting that contract sold to an investor. And then somebody has to handle the closing process, the whole title process, getting paperwork, setting a closing date, making sure that all the title concerns have been taken care of. So somebody has to do that. And then somebody has to go to closing and somebody has to do bookkeeping. So there's just a lot of moving parts. And, and it could just be one person doing all those things, but that one person is going to be very, very busy. If you want wholesaling to be passive, and it can be, but you have to build a team. You have to build up a business enough that you can afford to bring that team in, build that team around it, put everyone in a seat that makes sense for their skill set, and let them kind of go off and run. But, but it takes a while, right? It takes a little bit of time to get to that point. And it's kind of a, there's a real like art, and strategy to building your team and making sure you're getting the right people and how do they mesh with each other and are they being held accountable so that you know your business is running well and how do you know all that? So there's a million things that go into it. And that's a lot of that is what I cover in my seven figure investor uh, program. Uh, you guys can check that out at sevenfigureinvestor.com, the word seven. Um, but, but there's a lot that goes into it. It can be passive, but rentals way more passive in the beginning, way, way more passive. Wholesaling can end up being passive, but even your wholesaling business will probably never be as passive as a rental business. It just, it won't be because a rental business, once you hire that property management company, assuming you did a good job on the renovations and you kind of future-proofed it by getting all the major mechanicals and everything updated or replaced so that there's not going to be any issues, the issues that come up should be minor and they'll be handled by the property management company. So it's just such a, it's such a much more, um, passive investment than wholesaling. Wholesaling is very active until you build that team, right? And so it, there's a little bit of, you know, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into building a good team and it takes a while. It's like when you're teaching uh, your son or daughter to ride a bike, it's not just give them the bike and push, right? And they're just, they just are great at riding a bike. There's a lot of you running behind them, holding the seat and, and putting training wheels on and kind of running next to them and making sure they have it. Like there's a lot of that. You're going to have to run next to your team for a while and make sure that they have it, make sure they understand what they need to do, make sure that they can handle all the challenges and issues that come up normally in the course of business. So you're going to be running alongside your business. Like you're going to have to build it. So you're the only one doing it for a while. And then at some point you start putting together a team and you start running alongside that team until you think they can handle it for a day or a couple of days or a week. And then you jump back in and handle problems and then let them go for maybe a couple of weeks and jump back in. But even as you go, more than likely, you're going to have to stay involved on some level, whether that's weekly meetings, a monthly meeting or something, there's still some level of activity that probably will be more than a rental business. So that's a sort of a long answer to a quick question, but it's important that you know that rentals are much more passive by in nature. Okay. 
Uh, next question. Um, Let's see. Next question. I live in Austin, Texas, and I am interested in getting involved in the local short-term rental market, but the population has exploded here in the past couple of years, and the, and the prices are still really high in the area close to the city. Do you think it would be better to wait for prices to come down or look further out? Would it be beneficial to change to a traditional rental model if the property was further from downtown? Okay, there's a lot of questions in here. And I'll just say right up front, I am not a short-term rental expert. However, uh, as as luck would have it for this question, I am getting into the short-term rental market. In 2022, my goal is to go pretty aggressive into the short-term rental market. Um, There's a lot of different philosophies and strategies when it comes to short-term rentals. It's not all the same. Like You may think of it as you know, a, a short-term rental has to be like, for for instance, in this case, downtown Austin, Texas, or it has to be in Miami on the on the water. Like, it has to be these fantastic destination kind of places, and it really, really doesn't. I have friends that are in the short-term rental market, and I have been reaching out to them and asking them a bunch of questions because I'm getting into the market. And I have friends who are very, very successful doing short-term rentals and they're handling it in a, in a vastly different way from each other. One of my friends who's, um, I believe he's got 16, 17, 18, something like that, short-term rental properties. And they're all kind of in neighborhoods and in just in a town that's unremarkable with not anything specific drawing in tourism or anything like that. It's just sort of in a regular area. It's a regular house and he's got a bunch of them and they cash flow like a thousand dollars a month, positive cash flow. And that's his, his, his strategy is to just buy houses in his city, not necessarily in a strategically fantastic place, just houses, get some furniture in them, get them ready to go, throw them up on Airbnb, to be really, really good with customer service and really, really good at the hospitality part of it and get good ratings and reviews and stay, stay full. And just, and just a thousand dollars a month per house is his goal. And he's doing it. I have another friend on the other end of the spectrum. He's building a multi, 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 I think it's like $6 million mansion, indoor uh, bowling alleys, um, swimming pools, you know, dozen, a dozen rooms or more, like it's almost like a mini hotel and he's doing it at a tourist destination on a very popular lake. And, and he's just, he, it's huge. It's a big project, but he knows that's what people want in that particular tourist area. And usually big families are going there to stay and they want to stay together. And there's not a lot of housing like that. And so he's going like on the other end, he's like extravagant, right? And then in the middle, I have a friend who's buying properties. He's renovating them really, really, really nicely. And he's trying to create uh, a really great experience for the customer in a popular destination type location. So he's going destination, but he's not going $6 million. You know, he's buying houses that are appropriately priced for the area. Um, I don't know the exact prices, but I think it's somewhere in like that three to $600,000 mark, just nice three bedroom houses doing really, really great renovations, trying to make them a little bit unique and just have a great experience for the person staying there. And so there, there's a lot of different ways to do this. Now, to answer your question, 
the fact that the population has exploded and you're near Austin, I don't think it ma- it doesn't necessarily matter what the prices are of the house. What matters are the calculations that let you know how much money you can expect to make and what your expectations are or the ROI that you're looking for for that house. Okay. So um, I think in general, even like from the really extravagant friend who's got the crazy big mansion that he's, you know, mini hotel that he's, that he's creating all the way down to the person who's just buying local houses, throwing some inexpensive furniture in and just hurrying up, getting up on Airbnb and making money. All of them, I think are in that like 15 to 25% return on their investment per year. So all of them, I think plan on, generating enough money to theoretically pay off the property free and clear within four to six years. So that being the case, it doesn't really matter what you pay for the property as long as you don't want to overpay, like crazy overpay, right? You don't want to be over like, you know, spending more than it's worth even right now, but it doesn't matter what you pay as long as you run your numbers and you know, what you what kind of occupancy you can expect in that area and there's tools out there that are like tools like air dna and price labs will help you uh understand what other airbnb property short-term rentals what kind of occupancy they have and what kind of cost per night that they're charging and so if you can figure out what a reasonable or average or expected cost per night and then also use these online tools like AirDNA and Price Labs to figure out what percentage of the time that you should expect to be booked. And then look at what it's going to cost you to buy and pay on that property, assuming that you're not going to pay cash. Maybe you are, but if you're not paying cash, you're going to have a mortgage or some kind of a lien that you have to make a payment on. And so if the lien that you have to pay is $2,000 a month and you expect to be making grossing let's just say $4,000 a month because of occupancy rates and nightly um, charges that you can expect to charge. And you're going to clear $2,000 positive uh, income. And that's, that's meeting your goals. Then now's a great time. I'm never a fan of, Hey, prices are high. Let's wait. Or there's a lot of competition. Let's wait. No one is guaranteeing you prices are ever going to go down. They they, they may be at the lowest they're going to be in the next 10 years. I don't know. Right. If you would have asked me this, Two years ago or a year and a half ago, I would have said, I am pretty doggone sure prices are going to come down, but I would have been wrong. I was wrong when I was saying that. So that being said, now I'm freely admitting, I don't know what the market's going to do. I don't think anybody really, really does. And so without anybody telling you with any, with any confidence that the prices are definitely going to go down, then why wait? Now is the time because I can tell you for sure prices are going to go up. Now they may not go up next year or the year after, but you know, if you look back 20 years, houses cost houses are worth more now than they were 20 years ago. They're certainly worth more than they were 10 years ago. And in 20 years from now or 10 years from now, they're very likely going to be worth more than they are right now. So I'm always a big fan of jumping in that moving stream, jump in it now and let the current go because the stream is not going to stop. It's going to keep going. The prices are going to go up ultimately over time. They're going to go up for sure, right? They may dip a little bit. Who knows? But they haven't dipped yet. And everybody who knows anything was telling me um, a couple of years ago that house prices were going to dip. They were going to go down. And we just haven't seen that. So let's not 
let's not count on that anymore. Let's just be realistic and say, we don't know. And if we don't know, and I run my numbers and it's going to cost me $2,000 to buy that house right now, but I feel like I can reasonably and even maybe conservatively say, I'm going to gross $4,000, then it's probably a good deal. You should do it. So I don't think there's any time to wait. I don't know that you need to go further out necessarily. Um, but know that if you go farther out, it doesn't mean that the rental, the short-term rental won't do well, just because it's not in downtown Austin doesn't have to be, it could be in, in local neighborhoods, but use the software, use the software to analyze whatever market you're looking at, whether it's downtown Austin or farther out, use the software to analyze how, how, what is my rental? Um, what is my occupancy rate and what's my average cost per night in that area for all the other houses that are, you know, short-term rentals and just make sure the numbers make sense for you. Some people want to make a million dollars a year. Some people just want to make $10,000 and have a good, you know, lifestyle type income. And so if every short-term rental that you have needs to make a 600 or a, a six figure return, a hundred thousand dollars or more return every year, well, factor that in. And, and if you have to look in certain places to make that returns, then that's what you do. But if you're saying, hey, I want to buy a short-term rental that will make me you know, $30,000 a year, that's a totally different thing than saying, I need one to make me $100,000 a year. So don't worry necessarily about the price, although I, I'll never say don't at all worry about the price, but you don't have to worry as much as long as your numbers work and you're buying it for no more than market value. Don't overpay, obviously. Okay. Um, next question from Nick. Hey, Nick, welcome back. Nick is like a frequent flyer here with us. Hey, Nick, um, we just got into the vacation rental market. Most markets have a peak season. Look at why people would come to your city. Austin would have a huge market for traveling business people. That's totally true. I think Austin's a great market for sure. A great market. Um, and he's totally right. You know, they are going to have, most of them are going to have peak seasons. I think there's exceptions to that. If you look at like, uh, I've heard Orlando, for example, Disney world, right? There really isn't a peak. It's pretty much strong all year long. It could it could have higher and lower seasons, but it's not like um, like up in Michigan. We have some places on the west side of the state where there's great beaches, right? But those beaches don't mean anything October through May because it's cold and maybe even snowing or there's you know ice everywhere. So nobody cares. So there is a huge peak, right? It peaks hugely in June, July, August, huge peak. And then it slowly declines throughout the winter and then peaks again. Okay, that's a huge peak. Place like Orlando is probably going to have much like this. You know, it's going to be much smaller peaks and valleys. So, but that's a good point, Nick. Okay, uh, Zach Belknap. Zach, what is the decent? What is a decent starting budget for marketing, and uh, where would you put that money most effectively? <clears throat> good question, Zach. It sort of depends on where you are. Um, it's hard to come up with a marketing budget because it's sort of like saying. What's, what's the best car for me to buy? Well, it, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish and how much money you have. Um, in this case, when you say marketing budget, if you are in California, for example, let's say you're in San Diego, I'm just going to pick kind of an extreme case. If you're in San Diego, your marketing budget has to be different than if you're in Indiana, for example, right? In California, if, if, and by the way, where do I think it's most effective? I think in general, if I had one bullet to fire for my marketing 
um, dollars and I, and I only had one shot to do well with my marketing, I would put it in direct mail personally, right? That's where I have done the vast majority of the deals I've done over the last six, seven years. It's all mostly been direct mail. And most of the people that I know who have had tremendous, tremendous success in real estate, most of their deals have also come from direct mail. So if I had to bet on one horse, it would be direct mail. So that's that part of your question. That's that's my answer, direct mail. If you're in Southern California and you tell me you've got $1,000 to spend on direct mail, um, I am going to have a different uh, opinion of your likelihood of success than if you're in Indiana and you tell me you have $1,000 to spend on direct mail every month. You're going to have success faster in Indiana with $1,000 a month than you will in California. You may never get a deal in California if you have $1,000 a month to spend on marketing. So it kind of depends on your market. And since you're here with us live, you could tell me your market and I can maybe give you a better idea. But the, the real answer is I can give you a place to start. It would be an educated guess on my part. And then you put that mail out and you see what kind of response you get. If you start getting tons and tons of, of leads coming in, you know you're spending enough right, to, to get a deal. If you put that marketing out and you don't get any leads, no phone calls, no text, you know, no leads based on however you're telling them to get back with you or whatever your marketing says as far as getting a hold of you. If you don't get any leads, you're not probably spending enough. And you won't know after a week or two. It might take a couple of months to get a sense of whether or not the marketing dollars and the marketing strategy that you're using is effective. Okay, you're in Utah. Awesome. Utah is expensive. So I'll say that right off the bat. I, I used San Diego, like Southern California, as an example of really competitive. I could also use Utah because it's very expensive and very competitive. Um, but I would say I usually tell people if you can, and I don't, I don't know you, um, your budget, Zach, I don't know your budget, I should say. Um, I usually tell people if you can spend three to five thousand dollars on direct mail and that's not three to five thousand postcards that's three to five thousand dollars you need to be able whatever your budget is you should make sure that you have a runway and a runway meaning you have like if you go to vegas if you're a gambler you go to vegas and you say i'm going to spend a thousand dollars all right i should say i'm going to bring a thousand dollars and i'm not going to spend more than that it's all i have but I'll spend that and it'll last as long as it lasts. Okay. That's like your runway. A thousand dollars is your runway in real estate. You want to have like a four to six month runway, six month being best, being the best case scenario, but at minimum a four month runway. So if you tell me that you're going to spend $4,000 a month, then you should have, you know, between 16 and $20,000 total that you can spend you know, and that's going to be spent over the course of four to six months, right? Like three or four or $5,000 a month, whatever it is. So if in Utah, I would say if you can spend three to $5,000 a month on postcards and do that for four to six months, that would be, to me, that would be the most effective strategy that I could give you off the cuff without knowing anything more than that, or knowing any, any of your situation more than that, without having any more conversation than that, that would be the strategy that I would probably recommend to you. There's no guarantee of success in anything, right? But if I had to just use um, the statistics that I have available to me, like my, my success in the past and the success of most other investors that I have met in the last six, seven years, 
I would say direct mail is probably the way to go. Now, if you put $5,000 with a postcard, and by the way, do it on a weekly basis. So if you're going to spend um, $4,000 on marketing for four, every week for four weeks, you want to send out $1,000 worth of cards. And that's probably going to be between two and 3,000 cards when you spend $1,000. So that's what I would do. And then after a couple of months, or a month or a month and a half, if the phone is like ringing like crazy and you can't keep up with all the leads and you can't call all the sellers back in time, like just slow it down. You can, you can slow it down right before the six months is up. But if you do this for a month, 45 days and the phone's really not ringing and you're not getting much of anything, either your marketing piece needs a lot of work or you're just not, you're not spending enough to get the to get the traction that you need. And Utah is a very competitive market. I, like I said, it's definitely a very competitive market, but it's possible to be successful there. I know investors in Utah. I know a couple of like, a couple of my favorite people, uh, favorite investors and favorite people live in Utah and they're crushing it. But you have to be on top of things. You put out marketing piece, you get a phone call, you need to answer it live. When they tell you they want to sell their house, you need to get out there on that appointment immediately. As soon as they'll let you in the door, get that contract, speed, 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 right? Because bigger investors that are out there in Utah, and there are big investors out there, the bigger a company gets, the slower it tends to move. The one advantage that a smaller or newer investor has in a competitive market, the one big advantage you have is speed. You could be very, very quick to the to the point. You could be very quick to get on appointments. If it's if you're a one man band or a, you know one person operation, you can get out there. You can make a decision on purchase price. You can sign the contract. You can get it purchased. You can go and get the money or find a, an investor if you're going to wholesale. Like you can do all this very, very fast. It doesn't have to be handed off to another department. Even in my company, right in here in Michigan. We have, we have departments, basically. We have marketing. We have inta uh, lead intake. We have acquisitions. We have dispositions. We have transaction management. So everything has to be passed off to the next person and they have to get acclimated. It's not slow, but it's certainly slower than a one-person operation can be. And so use speed to your advantage. I would say probably in that three to $5,000 a month spend on, on direct mail, that's what I would recommend. And then evaluate and adjust. Like, all of business, not just real estate, all of business is execute, evaluate, adjust. Execute, evaluate, adjust. It, it's a never-ending cycle. That's exactly how it goes. Execute, evaluate, adjust. Remember that and, and you'll be fine. Okay. Just get out there and, and start going. Because you know, I have said, and I didn't come up with the saying, but it really uh, stuck with me when I heard it. You can't steer a parked car. You can't make adjustments when there's no forward motion. You've got to get that forward motion going. Then you start making adjustments. That's where the magic happens. Okay, uh, let's see. Follow-up question here from Zach. I am having a hard time staying organized and staying motivated. Any advice? Yeah, get help. Join a mastermind. Find a mentor. Join a program like mine. Um, surround yourself with people who are doing this. Surround yourself with people who have the same goals as you. People who have already hit some of those goals that are further down the road than you are. And also in the same place that you are, it's very, it's very business and being an entrepreneur is very lonely and it can be very crushing and it can be very, you know, depressing at times. You need to, you need to have that constant reminder of what you're doing and that it can be done and surround yourself with people who have done it, 
who you can look at and say, I know it can happen because it happened for them. And if it could happen for them, it can happen for me. And I just need someone to help me understand what the next step is and what I need to do. What do I execute on? Right. Cause I said, execute, evaluate and adjust. But if you don't know what to execute on, if you don't know what activities are going to bring you the highest ROI for your, for your work, you don't know exactly what to execute. I need mean, someone kind of helping you a little bit, giving you some strategies and letting you go out there and go after it. So staying motivated, man, just remind yourself what, why you're doing this. Come up with a good why. Why are you doing it? For a lot of us and for a lot of people, it's like family. They want to do it to take care of their parents. They want to do it because they want to spend more time with their family. They want to make their kids proud. They want to create a legacy for their family that is, is, is there and it benefits their family long after they're gone. Like there's a million things that can be your why, but I think it all starts with the why. Why are you doing it? Why is it important to you? Why are you willing to get up and maybe go to a nine to five and then work on your real estate business on your lunch hour, in the morning before work, after work, on the weekends, midnight, you're working, why? Why would you do that? There has to be something pushing you. And if there's not, you're probably going to struggle. And if there is, you need to remember it. Think about it. Write it down. Put it in front of you somewhere. Always be looking at your why because your why will get you up in the morning. Your why will get you off the mat when you get knocked down. Your why will have you go out there and make 10 more offers when your last 10 were rejected. You need a good why, man. That's, that's my advice. But Join my program, find a mastermind, find a mentor, surround yourself with like-minded people so that you can keep your eye on the prize and always remember why you're doing what you're doing. Okay, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it right here. We're about 38 minutes in. I think that's good for today. I appreciate the participation, guys. Um, it was awesome having you here with me. Um, Zach and Nick, guys, thanks for asking questions. I really appreciate you being here. If you're listening to this on replay, come and check us out next time, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. Search for Just Start Real Estate. We're here for you every single week, guys. Until next time, go out there and go after it. And, uh, and don't wait. Don't wait for the new year. I know it's only a couple of days away. Who cares? Start working on it right now. Get some momentum going into the first of the year. If you need help, if you don't know exactly what you need to do, come and find me. Go to sevenfigureinvestor.com, the word sevenfigureinvestor.com. I am here for you all of 2022. I want to make this business a reality for you. You can do it. Go out there and go after it. All right, we'll see you next time, guys. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.